supposed to sit over there? Come on, man. You guys move. It throws me off. Hey, a uh, couple things real quick. Uh, she didn't say the magnets are at the little counter that's underneath the stairs going up to the balcony. Uh, let's just buy them all out and stick them on our cars. I don't know about the honking at each other. That could create all kinds. Of, I had visions of like, yes. Anyway, so just be careful with the honking. Maybe just a polite wave would be a better option. Hey, I don't know if you were here yesterday. Uh, we did the uh, one of our third Saturdays at Grace. It was so much fun. And again, I just want to encourage you. Uh, if you weren't here, this is for all of us. Uh, we do it on Saturdays because it's just the ideal time. We are trying to drive some traffic towards the Saturday service, but it's okay. Even if you're a Sunday person, you can come on Sundays, but you can come at 6.30 on Saturdays and still enjoy the picnic. Uh, so it's not next week. It's the week after. It's every other week throughout the summer uh, all the way up to August 25th, I think, is the last one. So we got three more. Uh, we had a cornhole tournament. We had Billy Sims barbecue. It just was a really a blast. If you weren't here, I just encourage you to jump in. It's just there's not very many places uh, where we get to just hang out and talk and eat together. And uh, I, I'm amazed. I even said it today. There's just so many people here I don't know. So I know there's a lot of people here you don't know. And it's just a great chance for you to even just say, hey, I don't know you. Who are you? And then you get a chance to get to know them. All right. Uh, grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're working our way through 1 Peter in a series that we've called Everyday Saints. The idea in the premise of this letter, the very purpose of 1 Peter, is to inform us as readers how it is that we can have impact, help our culture, help people in our lives to have an interest in God. It's uh, not just... That, that it's just the average people, but the interesting thing about the letter is it's written to us to even help us to uh, have an impact on people who are not interested, not just not interested, but maybe even uh, hostile towards the gospel, or interestingly, we're going to even see it today, people who are uh, abusive, people who are oppressors in our lives. This letter is written to say, hey, even though there are these people in your lives that oppress you, here's a way that you can live your life so that you still have impact on those people. Great place for us to stop before we go any further and just ask the question. First Peter is telling us how to have impact on people who are hostile or abusive. And it's worth asking the question, do I even want that? Right? Do I even want the people who have wronged me, the people who still inflict pain in my life, do I even want them to know Jesus? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all, all have a little bit of Jonah in us where we want bad people to get the bad things that they deserve, right? And so we, we sort of think, well, you know, they're bad. We, just, we want kind of the wrath of God. Just smite them, God. Would you just strike them dead? That's what we, if we're just, I'm just being honest, that's like where we go naturally, right? And and, and so it's, it's in our spirit. And so the, the question that you have to do, especially when you read this particular passage, is do I even want those people who are oppressors and abusers to even find Jesus? And, and the truth is, the only way that really happens is when you start to recognize your own badness, right? Your own fallenness, your own evil. And when you begin to realize that, look, we don't want them to get what they deserve because we didn't get what we deserve. And so that's the grace of God. And that's what causes us to move towards people. So this week, Peter continues to give these clear directives to these first century readers, and, and, and he's really telling them, uh, how do you follow Jesus in a non-Jesus culture, right? How do you bring the glory of God into a culture that really doesn't care about God? And, and what we have in this particular section is a list of what we call household codes. 
These are codes of conduct for first century households. And the problem is, if we just take the household codes of the first century and we say, okay, well, those are the household codes then and they apply to us now, it just doesn't work. For the main reason is households are completely different now than they were in the first century. Context really matters here. And you're gonna see this as we begin to unpack it. We can't just say, okay, these were the codes of conduct for the first century, so these are the codes of conduct. We have to say, but here's the deal. There is some overlap. There are some lessons for us. There are some takeaways that we can learn as we go through this. Today, we're looking at 1 Peter, starting uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to go all the way through 3, 7. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, but I am going to unpack those other verses, so I just encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we move through it. If you're uh, using an ESV, English Standard Version, which is what we teach from, or an NIV, uh, right above chapter, or verse 13, it probably says these words, submission to authority, right? Does your Bible say that? Yeah, so I don't know if you know this, but those titles were added for our benefit. They're not part of the original uh, manuscripts of scripture. The, the chapter breaks and all that are all added just so that we can navigate and find things a little more uh, clearly and, and know what we're reading a little more clearly. But the, here's the deal. As soon as you read submission to authority, for a number of us, we are already kind of put on the defense. We live in a fiercely independent sort of society. The word submission and authority have many negative connotations. So you can come into this passage before you even read it because of that title with some level of defensiveness or even being offended by the words. Submission and authority are big words and especially in our American independent free, it's really just even almost contrary to the American dream in some ways. And we just need to own that and then navigate into this and ask some questions of ourselves. Do I have problems just in general with the word submission? And we're going to unpack that more in just a little bit. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Peter writes these words. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent to him, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up from evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we uh, wade into this uh, difficult passage, these difficult passages, uh, that you would lead the way, that you would guide my words, that you would open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. I pray for anyone who's already beginning to uh, bristle at what is coming, that they would just uh, relax and that they would hear what you want them to hear. I pray that anything that's of you, that of your spirit, would just land in fertile soil, that it would grow, it would bear fruit a hundredfold. Uh, I pray that you would protect my words. Help me not to say anything that, that does offend because I say it the wrong way. So we just pray in these next few minutes that you would uh, use this sermon uh, to move us forward with you. May we leave different than we came because we've sat with the living God. Jesus' name, amen. 
So when you get to verse 13, Peter's kind of shifting gears and now he's talking about these household codes. And so he kind of summarizes in verse 13 exactly what he's gonna talk about the rest of the way through. In this verse 13, he gives us the what you're supposed to do and the why you're supposed to do it. If you want to have impact in the community around you and your family and the world, then this is what you need to do and this is why you need to do it. The what is be subject to every human institution. The word subject there really just means submit. You can't really get around it. You could try to parse the verb and dig into the Greek, but sorry, it just means submit. It means to respect. It means to obey all of the rules. Um, I didn't talk about this last night, but I do this thing with, whenever I do this, I I do a year-long discipleship, Meg and I, with a group of people called The Journey. Uh, In one of the weeks, uh, I asked them to uh, spend one week following every rule. Like just one week where you break no rules whatsoever. You know what that means? You drive the speed limit, no rolling stops, right? And, And it's amazing when you come back how many rules we just are constantly breaking more than we even realize. And I don't do it because I want us to be legalistic. I just want us to wrestle with the fact that we might struggle a little bit at times with submission to the rules, right? So, so here it's saying, be subject to, submit to every human institution. And, and, and the, the word there really does mean respect. Now here's something that's interesting. I have said to my bosses along the way, uh, mostly when I was younger and a little bit more Um, pretentious, I guess, would be the right word. Uh, I can't respect you because you haven't earned my respect. Sorry, you're just not a good boss. You haven't earned my respect. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you've said that. But you can't hold that truth with this truth. Right, they're in, they're in conflict with one another. It's basically saying, regardless of the person, and look, he's, he's using the emperor. This is Nero, is the example. Respect, honor, the emperor, right? Honor your boss. Honor every. He uses the word every, which is a pretty all-inclusive word, isn't it, right? He writes, even honor Nero, this brutal, maniacal dictator who, if you challenged him, would just as likely kill you. And I'm not saying that as any kind of hyperbole. That's really who he was. You didn't challenge the emperor Nero. He was known for just wiping people out and complete groups out if they weren't in submission to him. So be submissive to every human authority applies to us today as much as it did. This is one of those first century household codes that that apply to us, that we are called to submit to the authority that God places us under. And why? It says, for the Lord's sake. And this is huge because if you're, and I've talked about this for the last two weeks, if your motivation is you, this makes no sense. If your motivation is to bring attention to you, if your motivation is to climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is, if it's all about you, then this is probably bad advice. But if your desire is to help the person see Christ in you, then you cannot become their adversary. You cannot become this friction point in their lives. There's this picture of for the Lord's sake, to make the Lord known so that people see God in you. The purpose of this is to have impact for God, and that's got to be a big part of who you are. And I think this requires some mental gymnastics on our part. Sometimes we just have to say to ourselves, wait, for the Lord's sake, I don't like this. I don't particularly even like him or her, but I am going to submit so that the gentleness, let your gentleness be evident enough so that the people around you can see God. Look at verse 17. It actually says, honor everyone. 
Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Not an honorable person, but he's in an honorable position and, and we are called as Christians to honor him. It's, a, it's an amazing picture. And if it doesn't cause you to wrestle a little, then you're, then you're just not letting it sink in because this has been hard all week to think about how do you do this? How do you navigate it? It's all-inclusive language. Honor everyone. To honor is to give credit to someone. It's actually to esteem someone. It's to protect the character of that person. It's showing respect to them. It's, a, it's not an easy thing to do. I have this really good friend. His name is Fred, and I've been journeying with Fred for about 18 or 19 years, uh, and I have never, uh, just straight out, I have never heard Fred say a bad word about anybody. And here's the deal. I've tried. Like, I've even thought of people who are a bit scoundrelish and tried to, like, feed their name into the conversation because I'm, I'm, like, baiting him. I'm like, come on, this, this can't even be real. I mean, you can talk about Hitler and he'll find something nice to say, right? I mean, he's just that kind of, just, he's not going to say a bad word about anybody. And I've never heard him go there. He'll find a way in the midst of that conversation to honor, to bless, to see something good in the character of that person. It's just an amazing picture, right? Now, here's the deal. I love that about Fred. I see Jesus in that. And what I know about Fred is he's never going to say a bad word about me either. That he's always going to honor me. He's always going to protect my reputation. There's something really beautiful about being known for that. And so there's a challenge in this for you. Stop and ask yourself, is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to type, listen to me, church, is what I'm about to type, is what I'm about to use my thumbs to post, is it honoring? Even if the political figure is not my favorite person, am I violating First Peter with the words that I use? I think Christians should be known for kindness, for loyalty, for hard work, for, for honesty, and for respecting other people. And unfortunately, I don't think that's our reputation. And here's the deal. I think we miss the point, if we're not careful, that, that it's most likely that the people that you're going to have influence on are not necessarily the people who you're actually submitting to, but the people who are watching you submit to them. Does that make sense? So it's your coworkers, it's your neighbors, it's your family members that see you living this out. And it may be the actual person, but it's going to more likely be the people who are watching you live into this, okay? So then we get to... Uh, verse 18, uh, and all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 7, uh, Peter begins to list these different household scenarios. What he's basically doing is saying, be subject to every human institution. Oh, and here's some of the human institutions that you have to live in, and here's how you need to navigate those particular institutions. These are household codes that are applicable to them in the first century. Now, here's the deal. Before I look at each one of these, I just want to say a few things. Uh, first, uh, I just want to recognize that as a white male in a social structure where I am part of the majority uh, dominant class, um, I am about to talk about something that I have little or no experience with. Uh, but nevertheless, this is the job that God has asked me to do. Um, the other thing I just want to say is this is why we choose as a church to teach through books of the Bible, because I can tell you I would never choose this chapter to teach. If you've looked ahead, you probably know why. Nobody wants to stand on the stage as a white male and talk about slaves and masters and women and husbands. 
Difficult topic, right? But there is a discipline of us saying, we're gonna teach through the book because there's something, this is the word of God, it's for us, right? And secondly, I just wanna recognize that these paragraphs that we're about to look at have been used inappropriately by the church for centuries to manipulate, they've been misinterpreted, they've been uh, just used to abuse, to legitimize slavery, to legitimize the oppression of women, And so I just want to start by saying I'm sorry. If that's been part of your experience, if that has been part of your family's experience, uh, I just want to say on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. My hope, my prayer is that as we dig through this, you're going to see that this is not what Peter intended when he wrote this letter. Okay, starting in verse 18, he takes on the subject of slaves and masters, Peter is addressing this topic because a major part of the culture, a major part of the infrastructure of the first century Greco-Roman world involved a culture of slavery. It was just the way it was. And here's the deal. The early church had a lot of slaves. That was one of the first groups that adapted to Christianity because there was something liberating in Christianity where they found out they had value and they had freedom. And so many slaves were coming to Christ. So Peter is writing to slaves because slaves are in his church, right? So he is addressing a real situation that the people that are going to his church are having to deal with. That's why he's talking to them. And the deal is, as these slaves are experiencing newfound freedom and and newfound identity, and they're giving responsibilities within the church, it's creating conflict when they go back into their home situations. Now, here's the deal. It's really important Uh, that we recognize that we are incapable of reading these kind of passages without having the images of American slavery etched in our minds. And it's a very different thing. Now, I wanna be really careful here, and I want you to hear me. I am in no way endorsing that slavery of any kind is okay, but the slavery of the first century Greco-Roman world was very different than what we know of in America. Let me just tell you some of the differences. First of all, it was... uh, Sorry. First, the, the first century slavery, in most cases, was a voluntary contractual agreement. Now, it was a binding contract. That's why you became a slave. It wasn't like you could change your mind. We have an op- option in our contractual agreements of employment to say, I changed my mind. I don't want to work here anymore. Once you sign the contract, you're in, and there was a duration of time that you were in for. It could have been 10 years, whatever. But you were saying, I desire to work under this household, under this master, to do this particular task so that I can live with them, so that they provide a place for me to stay, they provide food for me, whatever those things are. It was a contractual agreement, and it usually had a time limit. If you were born to a a slave, a a mother who was a slave, there was even a a system in place for your own liberation at a particular time. So you can see that in itself is completely different than what we experience in American slavery, okay? And and so the other thing is it wasn't ethnically based. It wasn't as it was in America. Uh, Jews were slaves, Romans were slaves, Greeks were slaves. Uh, it, it, was, it was a mosaic of slavery. Yeah, I don't know that I would ever say that, but that's the truth. It wasn't, it wasn't a way of oppressing a people group as it was in America, okay? So that's different again. Again, I'm not saying it was good, and you're gonna see, I'm gonna get to that. Third, the slaves were not denied education, and actually, in most cases, they were pushed to be educated because the more educated they were, the better 
they were for the household. These were like little businesses. They were little enterprises, and the more educated the people were in their enterprise, the better they were at serving. They couldn't leave because they were under contract. We even have um, documents that show that sometimes doctors would become slaves because they could make more money and have a better living for a very wealthy master that had a huge plantation, if you will, because they could, they could work as the doctor there, have a better uh, lifestyle there than they could in the free market society. So they would actually sign up to be a slave for a period of time, okay? So, so very different, right? But with all of those differences, it was still a system that was riddled with abuse and oppression. And here's the reason, because anytime people have power over people, they have a tendency to abuse it. It's just human nature. So sexual abuse, physical abuse was a huge part of it. And you see that in this letter. So Peter's talking about, so if your master beats you, if your master, so, so it, it, while we can say it was better, it still was broken and slavery is wrong, okay? It's just different. And I, and I just want you to, to, to hold that in, in your mind's eye as we talk about this. So here's what Peter says. He says, slaves, you need to honor and respect your master. He writes that, you need to endure difficulties and hardships. And, and what he's saying here is, look, sometimes you go through difficulties because you're just not doing what you're supposed to do. Sometimes you bring things on yourself. Other times you endure because the person who is over you is evil. And what he says is, look, don't, don't miss this. God sees you. That God knows that we don't have a high priest that, that doesn't understand that Jesus sees your suffering, that he's in it with you. And there's just this opportunity for us to realize sometimes we go through really difficult situations and all we really can do is just invite the spirit of God into this with us and say, God, you, you know this is horrible for me. You know this is difficult for me. Would you show grace to me? Would you, would you be present with me as I journey through this? And he's saying, do this for the sake of Christ. Peter in no way is endorsing slavery. This passage is used for that purpose. You see, slavery's in the Bible, so slavery's okay. He is just addressing the real, the real situation that's in the first century church. Okay, then he gets to chapter three, and Peter starts giving advice to women, which is really stupid. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's great. That's oh, wonderful. Why does he do this? Uh, for the same reason the first group of people who really came to the church in numbers were women, more so than the men. So the early church had a lot of slaves and a lot of women. And a lot of the women lived in homes where their husbands were not believers. And so Peter is saying, hey, here's a way that you can have impact in your home when you live with a non-believing man. So he knew this was a part, and here's the deal. The women in the first century church were experiencing all kinds of new freedom. They were being accepted for who they were. They were their identity was being changed. They were given responsibility within the church, and that was creating problems when they would go back home. And he actually says, don't let your freedom create problems for you. Be free, but don't like think this gives, liberates you to do whatever you want. You're still working within a system. So in verse, uh, verse one of chapter three, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, in other words, even if some of them are not believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and your pure conduct. He's writing to the fledgling church. And the question you could ask is, why didn't he just say, look, we have all these women. You guys just need to organize. 
Uh, you, just need, you just need to get some good picket signs and you need, to protest, you need to protest the abuse that you live under. Why? Because it never would have worked. And they would have been squashed and they would have been pressed and they probably would have been told, you're not going to that church anymore for one thing, right? And so he's saying, how do we work within the system to bring about change? And he says, the best way to bring about change is to love them well, to respect them, to honor them, to, to work within the system that God has, has placed you under. I have a very dear friend, and uh, she's a little bit older than me. Uh, she's been married for a long time. Her husband is not a believer. Uh, I would say he's hostile to Christianity. Uh, he has no interest in going to church. A very strong personality. Uh, some might even say a little bit domineering. Um, some might use more <laughs> colorful words than that. Um, but I've never heard her say a bad word about him. And I've watched her submit to him and love him in a pretty profound way. And there's two things that just come out of this. Um, it has made her a spiritual giant. Uh, there's just something profound about this woman. Uh, it is a beautiful thing to see. She's one of the most beautiful people uh, spiritually that I've ever been around. And she would say, uh, look, it's that relationship that God has used more than anything else to shape who I am in my character. And she would say, look, this is what God has called me to and, and my prayer is that he would see Jesus in me. And so when you go home and you become the adversary, it's pretty hard to be the adversary and show somebody Jesus at the same time. And so Peter is, is addressing that. And I just wanna make sure we know that when we look at this passage, he's, he's really talking about this situation of non-believing and believing. So the question we could ask is, what's the household code for a believing home? Well, we have that in Ephesians, and we're gonna, I'm gonna bring it up on the screen. You can look at it if you want, but Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5.21 says these words, it's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're both believers. If you both are walking with Jesus, then submit to one another. I am called to submit to Meg. Meg is called to submit to me. The minute I play some kind of trump card that God has put me in charge, Meg, and so you gotta do what I say you gotta do, the gig is up, man. The, the game is over and we got some problems, right? And so there's this picture of, of mutual submission. You, you can't interpret that some other way. You can't take that passage, verse 21, and pull it apart and say, yeah, but he didn't really mean that. It's pretty straightforward. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but the, the problem we have is with the word submission. We hate the word submission. It is just not a good word for most of us. And here's the problem with that, and I just, just hear me, church. If you struggle to submit to earthly, worldly systems that are put into place, if you struggle to submit to people, then I guarantee you, you struggle to submit to God because the way you relate, relate vertically and the way you relate horizontally are always, always connected. So if submission is hard for you this way, submission is hard for you this way. So maybe what God is doing is putting us in places where we have to learn to submit so that we can learn to submit. So the question is, 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 part, is part of this just the fact that we don't want to submit? Go back to Peter's opening words, submit to every human 
institution. Submit to one another. Verse 22 in Ephesians says, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. You can, if you look at that passage, you can actually see both the vertical and the horizontal. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? You can see both. But then in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you. Just so you know, this is a really high bar. Right? That's a pretty big deal. I mean, just meditate on how Christ loves the church, all the things Christ did for the church. And then he says to the men, love your wife that way. Christ was pretty sacrificial. He was pretty self-giving, right? He, was, he, he, he had the us in mind and not him in mind. There's a picture of this, a beautiful picture in this. There is nothing oppressive or domineering about God's design for marriage, nothing. In marriage, each person is actually capable of oppressing the other. Right? When you do things your own way, when you neglect the needs of the other person, when you use whatever power you have to, to we, we both have the power to oppress the other. The household code for 2018 in a believing household is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's keep going. There's one more uh, controversial passage that we just need to unpack because it's awfully confusing until we dig into it. And that's in chapter three, verse seven. And I don't even like reading it because of the language, but when I explain it to you, it'll make sense. Uh, verse seven says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Thank you for that. Since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here's the deal, I say this to you all the time, uh, and I don't know that there's a better example than this passage right here. Context matters. First century context matters. Language matters. Our lack of understanding in language can change things so importantly. So if you dig into this particular verse, this uh, live with is actually one Greek word. I don't need to tell you what the Greek word because nobody will remember it anyway. But the Greek word actually uh, 99% of the time is used as a word to describe physical relationships between a man and a woman. It's a word to describe sex, right? And so when you, just that one piece, and then understanding the context, the social context, where women were degraded, where women were seen as property, where women were very commonly sexually abused, even within their own homes. That's the context where Peter is writing. Here's a passage that has nothing to do with, it's about sex. It's about how to have a physical relationship with your wives. And so when he says live with, he's saying when you approach your wife, never, ever force yourself on them. And when he says weaker vessel, he is not talking about their mental capacities, their leadership capacities. He's not talking about their, their spiritual frailty. He is just basically saying, you are probably big enough to overpower physically your spouse, but don't. Live with her in an understanding way, right? Be gentle with her. Consider her needs above your own. This is a passage about, about removing what was a common problem in the household about physical violence towards women, even within their own home. So what seems like an insult upon first reading actually is this beautiful passage of protecting and honoring the women. Weaker vessel is not 
Just let me say it again about mental capacity, leadership capacity, emotional capacities, or spiritual frailty. He's just saying you're probably big enough, but don't, okay? So we see the passage in that light, it takes on a whole different meaning. So tons of interesting stuff in our passage today. The question we gotta ask us is, so what? What is it telling us about everyday saints in our culture? Chances are we're not living in the same type of culture situations that we just talked about. And one of the things that I've wrestled with all week, I've talked to G about this, I've talked to Meg about this, is if you read 1 Peter, does it mean that Dr. King, for instance, was in disobedience to 1 Peter? He broke some laws, you know that, right? He stepped outside of the boundaries of what was legal so that he could bring attention to this racial oppression, right? Was Dr. King breaking 1 Peter? Was he disobedient to the scriptures? And I would say, no, of course not. As a matter of fact, when you look at the history, especially American history, it was the church rising up sometimes to fight injustice, stepping out of the lines in some ways to bring attention to the injustice that changed racial equality, that changed women's rights, changed voting rights, changed child labor laws. The church has had a, a major impact in these things, but sometimes they had to organize. Sometimes they had to protest. In all of these cases, the people were passionate about justice, and God is passionate about justice. So how are we then to understand 1 Peter when it says be subject to or submit to the Lord's sake to every human institution? Scott McKnight is a biblical theologian and he says, I believe that submission can be understood to include obedience, protest, and at times even civil disobedience. We have to speak out against unjust laws and we have to speak out about systematic oppression, but we can do it the wrong way or the right way. And I, I know this is a pretty uh, graphic example or a vivid uh, picture, but it's the best I can think of. There's a big difference between protesting an abortion clinic and bombing it, right? In both cases, there's, a, there's a, a something that's stirring about injustice, but there's a way we can move into it that's right, and there's a way that we can move into it that's wrong. I think one of the most powerful pictures we do have of this is Dr. King. He was pushing the boundaries. He was defying city ordinance and local laws. Now keep in mind, many of those local city ordinance were in conflict with our very own constitution. So you could even just ask the question, well, which law was he supposed to be obeying here? That's a whole different conversation. But the truth is he was willing to step out and and do it. He he changed the face of, of civil rights in the way that he moved. But when you watch him, there was a humility about him. There was a a willingness to self-sacrifice. He preached to us about standing up for injustice, and he preached nonviolence. It was a pretty powerful picture of doing things the right way. I think he was willing to suffer because he knew that Christ suffered. He was willing to pick up his cross and follow Jesus, and he was willing to, to do the very things that Christ did, to sacrifice because Christ sacrificed. Cost him his life. The question is, are we willing to pick up our own cross and follow Jesus, or do we just want to be comfortable? The fact is, we're called to fight for justice. The scriptures are very clear about this. So let's talk about the home for just a minute. <coughs> if you're not careful and I don't say this, you could leave here with a misimpression. Are, are you called to endure uh, physical or abuse because Peter says submit? And I would just say absolutely not. 
You are not called to sit in a system where you are physically in danger. It's just not a part of what God is calling you to do. God does not want you to be in a home where you are being physically or sexually abused. That is not what this passage is saying. There are grounds sometimes for divorce. So in light of this passage, the question I just wanna end with is, so what does God want from you? What does God want from us? I think when you dig into 1 Peter, what he really wants is he wants us to reflect his glory. He wants us to live out our very created purpose, to bear the image of God. He wants our actions, he wants our responses, he wants our passions, he wants our lives, he wants our families to reflect the glory of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. He desperately wants our passion for justice to go outside of these doors. And so you know what that might mean is you might join a protest. You might march somewhere because you see it's injustice. You might start a protest. But it might also mean that you sit across the table from a little kid and you teach him to read because the broken education system is an injustice and there's a way we can do justice. So it's just a matter of listening to what the spirit wants you to do. There's this thing in, in, in Christianity called the cruciform lifestyle. The cruciform lifestyle. And what it really means is that we're willing to suffer for others, that we're willing to sacrifice what's rightfully ours. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed what was rightfully his. It means that we're willing to hold the interest of others above our own interests. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. It means we're willing to love people who oppress us and not revile them. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. So our mission statement at Grace is we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Jesus showed us how to live. This is what the Lord wants from us today. Submit to every human institution and all the while do justice and love mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge of the week to work through this passage. I pray that we would leave here uh, just with a sense of your glory and your calling on all of us to reflect the goodness of God passage that has stuck with me the most from First Peter is if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Lord, could we just be people who take God's presence with us so that others taste the goodness of God and that they're attracted to him? Help us to be who you've called us to be in this church right here at Maras and I-94. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, when the people prayed for you this morning, uh, one of the things that they heard is that there's some people in the room that are just struggling with singleness, and we'd like to pray for you. Uh, exhaustion was a part of what we heard, so if you're just really tired and want somebody to pray over you, that would be great. Uh, and there was a word of encouragement. God is able to do uh, the impossible for you, so if you just are in a situation where you need to lean into God, uh, if you have physical ailments, spiritual ailments, whatever it is, we have a great team that would love to pray for you as you go out. They're gonna give you this bag. We'd love for you to fill it. Bring it back next week so we can fill the pantry and help people. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, Pastor. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. I see my brother.
brother I see my 